Welcome to the Doe Valley Ministry Podcast, where you can find faithful teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Here's this week's message. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Be sensitive to conscience. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other god but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worst. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The Word of God for us today. Eating meat that has previously been offered to idols. That's a big issue here in our town, isn't it, these days, huh? How many times have you asked your waitress at Eaton Park, uh, has any of the meat uh, been offered to idols here? Yeah, it doesn't happen. To be honest, I I do not know just when this stopped being the, the big deal that the Corinthians were confronting, but probably not too long after Paul's instruction. It was obviously an important issue because the Apostle Paul took up three chapters of this letter to the Corinthians, chapters 8, chapter 9, and 10, to discuss it. So looking at a little background here, in the ancient Greek and Roman world, every town had one or more temples dedicated to various pagan gods. And in the bustling city of Corinth, there were plenty of them, which was a reflection of the population. There were ex-Roman soldiers, there were merchants, there were Jews, there were Easterners from Phoenicia and Phygyra, there were slaves, there were freemen, there were sailors, and so on and so forth. A very diverse population. 
And by the middle of the first century, when this letter was written, the population was approaching three-quarters of a million people, and about two-thirds of them were slaves. The city had become a byword for loose living. To live like a Corinthian meant a life of immorality and debauchery. Corinth was home to the temple of Aphrodite, to which were attached 1,000 priestesses who were sacred prostitutes. There was an ancient saying, it is not every man who can afford a journey to Corinth. Now, whether it be the temple of Aphrodite or any other, it was common practice for worshipers to offer sacrifices. If you were bringing a sacrifice, you would walk into the temple leading a goat or a sheep. One of the priests would ritually, ritually kill the animal, clean the carcass, and place its body on the great stone slab of the altar. There it would be burned until a plume of barbecue smoke wafted its way up to heavens, which was a pleasing scent to the people of that day believed influenced the gods. Eh, most of us today also probably uh, like the smell of a good barbecue, but uh, we don't believe it really influences, uh, you know, the uh, whatever. It's just, oh, that smells good. What's somebody cooking? Some barbecue today. Others say it was packaged and sent to the butcher in the town market where it was sold. And the profits, of course, would benefit that particular temple. Some scholars even think the sale of meat in the marketplace was a priestly monopoly. All meat had passed through a pagan temple on the way to the butcher shop. This meant that if you were a Christian and wanted to eat meat at all, you had to put aside any spiritual issues about where it had been. Either way, this practice poses a real dilemma for the early Christians. They have pledged to follow Jesus Christ and to turn from the pagan deities. Yet what do you do when your next-door neighbors invite you to the temple of Artemis to celebrate his son's coming of age with a sacrifice and a great feast? Or what do you do when you stroll down to the marketplace to buy food for supper and you realize the meat in the butcher's shop spent the morning up on the high altar of Zeus? A debate had broken out in the Corinthian church over these issues. There is a conservative faction that loudly proclaims that no Christian should ever meet, eat meat sacrificed to an idol. And of course, the liberal faction is more laid back. You know, these pagan gods are not gods at all. To us, meat is meat. We're not worshiping as we eat it. So what's the big deal? And every time they called a congregational meeting in the Corinthian church, this subject would come up. The conservatives would accuse the liberals. The liberals would snap back at the conservatives. The old familiar charges and countercharges would be raised. Nobody would ever win the argument. And after the meeting, both sides would gather separately in the parking lot afterwards and say, ain't it awful? Finally, someone suggests they write to Paul about it, along with questions on other contentious subjects as well, such as divisions in the church, moral issues, legal questions, ecclesiastical rules, worship practice, uh, the theology, stuff like that. And what the apostle sends back in reply is the first letter to the Corinthians. 
Paul agrees with the liberals that the old pagan idols have no power over Christians. There is no spiritual harm caused by eating the sacrificial meat. Then he says to the liberals, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Don't you eat that meat, he says to the enlightened folks, if by doing so you might cause any of the conservatives to lose their way and fall back into paganism. Paul continues his argument in chapter 9. Remember, this is a letter, and you know when you're writing letters, you don't say, okay, da-da-da-da-da, here's what we did, chapter 1. Chapter 2, da-da-da-da-da, here was our summer vacation. Chapter 3, here's our Thanksgiving. Chapter 4, no, we don't write letters like that. You know, these chapter divisions in our Bibles are artificial. So when Paul wrote, this was not divided, it was just one long letter. So in chapter 9, he continues his argument. He deals with those who invoke the principle of Christian freedom. He points out that there are many things that he is free to do, but which he abstains from doing for the sake of the church. He's well aware of Christian freedom, but equally aware of Christian responsibility. Then in chapter 10, he deals with those who declare that their Christian knowledge and privilege position make them quite safe from any infection. He cites the example of the Israelites who had all the privileges of God's chosen people and yet who fell into sin. He advises against over-fussiness. In other words, if you make your purchase in a local butcher, exercise the ancient principle. We kind of still have this today. It's called, don't ask, don't tell. Right? If you go to someone's home and they make a big point about serving you something that they inform you has been previously dedicated to a pagan deity as an in-your-face challenge to your Christian commitment, you should just, your best bet is politely decline. In other words, be careful. Be cautious. But if they invite you over and nothing is mentioned of the meat, you don't know where they got it from, this, that, or the other thing, enjoy yourself. Paul's point in all this is to say that none of us has the right to indulge in a pleasure or to demand some liberty which might be detrimental to someone else. And I think we've kind of forgotten that here in, in America today, haven't we? We demand our freedoms no matter what it is. And, you know, you see driving down the road um, vulgar signs about our current president or ex-president, you know? No. Yes, I understand. That's your freedom of speech to do so. I, I get that, and I support freedom of speech, as we all do here. But come on. You know, I don't want my kids seeing that, and I'm sure you don't want your kids or grandkids seeing that type of language on display. And that's what we're getting at here. Yes, it's your right to display that, those flags, to display that vulgar language. But you don't need to. You can be considerate of others. You can be respectful. You may have the strength of mind and will to keep that pleasure in its proper place, and that course of action may be safe enough for you. But you have more than just yourself to think about. There is that weaker brother or sister, an indulgence which may be the ruin of someone else is not a pleasure, but a sin. 
Paul does not tell the Corinthians what they ought to do. Instead, he brings this section to a conclusion by saying what he would do, or in this case, not do. If what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. A bit later on in this letter, Paul lays out the appropriate standard for Christian behavior. And we know this passage as 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you know, it begins, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Many folks hear those words and think about marriage because the passage is so often read at weddings. But it is really not limited to that. This is simply Paul's guide for Christian behavior. Whether you're married, single, widowed, divorced, male, female, it doesn't matter. As to dealing with the issue at hand, the difference of opinion on food offered to idols, the standard is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love. In the face of the overwhelming reality of Christian love, the chew them up and spit them out rules of debate are suddenly suspended. The negative attack ads are thrown away. The mudslinging is over. The same Bible that says believe also says behave. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should just to exercise our freedoms. In our society today, you have no doubt heard the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And in the context of modern life, that explains why some folks get ahead and some others don't. But in the context of the life of faith, it can be equally valid, not as an excuse for failure or an explanation for success, but as a wonderful way of living out our understanding of the gospel. What determines the way we live as Christians? What we know or who we know? What do you think Jesus would do? Listen to Paul once more. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Apply it to our lives today. If what I do causes my fellow Christian to sin, I will never do that again, so that I will not cause him to fall. Remember, it's not what you know, but who. Let us close with our prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you that we are able to come here today and hear your word proclaimed. But just knowing your word is not the complete package. We can know your word, but if we are not living it, you are not honored. Help us this week to honor you by living your word, loving you, and loving our neighbors. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.